Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of the Yacking Show Business Channel. And this is the show that brings you tips and ideas to help your business thrive and survive in the interesting times we're heading into. And we do that by bringing you expert guests in their field. Today was certainly no exception. But first, let's introduce Kathleen Beauvais, co-host. Hi, Kathleen. How are you today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you. And thank you also very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate having you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. We are so privileged to welcome Jimmy Burroughs to the show. Hello, Jimmy. How are you? I am so good, Kathleen. Thank you for the warm welcome. (laughs) Now, Jimmy is the founder and CEO of JBL. He helps busy busy business leaders find work-life balance and avoid burnout. He's also the author of the book, Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance. So let's just jump right in. Jimmy, how do you go about helping business leaders avoid burnout and achieving what to many is an impossible task of an ideal work-life balance. You know, it's it's so interesting when I always hear the words work-life balance. And the reason I find it interesting is because I'm not sure that that is a reasonable prospect for us to achieve. <laughs> and so if we start with the idea of I want work-life balance, then we're possibly on a failing track because our expectations are that there is a balance possible. Uh, And I think in reality, balance is now more of a blend. So instead of having a delineation between this is my work time and this is my my life time, um, we are needing to work out ways of living whilst working and working whilst living and enjoying in an abundant state, enjoying both of those states. And, And that can be really challenging because if we look at the modern workplace context, it's demanding more and more and more of us. You know, there's increasing complexity, increasing uncertainty, volatility, ambiguity, you know, all the buzzwords that we can possibly use. But the reality is it's just demanding more of our leaders and our people. And so the reason that we do what we do is to essentially show leaders that potentially the ways they've been working and operating until now are not necessarily serving them. And that's through no fault of their own. That's through Mm -hmm. a product of we've been through a 25 year journey of process improvement and leanifying businesses and stripping out layers of management and all these things. So there's more responsibility and more expectations on leaders. We've underinvested in leadership for the last 25 years because it's a cost cutting opportunity that we can we'll just get rid of the training people, get rid of the leadership people. Uh, and so leaders are underskilled in how to deal with p- leading teams and leading people, especially with the added complexity of a global pandemic and remote working and all these other things that have come up as well. And so, you know, if we could say to a leader, hey, Let's look at the habits that you've got. Let's look at the practices you've got. Let's look at the way you're running your life and believing that you need this work-life balance. Actually, if we can show you some different ways of doing things that are going to take the pressure off, that are going to slow things down, that are going to make you more impactful, and all of them are going to give better business results, is that worth talking about? Mm-hmm. And what we find nine times out of 10 is like, yes, please give that to me. How do I get it? And that's where we start to share what we do. Okay. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot in that in there. We're going to unpack this a little bit more. But <clears throat> one thing that concerns me, as you can see, and as people can hear, I've been around quite a while. And I believe the, the whole burnout problem has got a lot worse in the last 20 to 30 years from, from when I 
earlier in my life when I was in the corporate world, um, a lot of the top guys played golf every Wednesday afternoon and Saturday morning, and they might have taken the odd report home to look through, but they didn't have computers, they didn't have emails. So uh, perhaps they found it easier to get somewhere towards that balance. Am I right in saying it's got a lot worse in the last 20 to 30 years, Jimmy? I think you know it's it's a it's almost we're in the perfect storm now mm-hmm. of circumstances. Yes, absolutely, it's got far more intense. I remember um, when we were doing our research for the book, we discovered a statistic that in one day we process more data than our parents would process in a month. Really? And so when we're talking wow. about the number, you know, and this is talking about the average executive. So yeah, um, yeah. I've worked with large organizations where you know, two to 3000 emails a day is normal. Well, how many letters did you get 20 years ago, 25 years ago through um, through the post? Maybe five letters a day if you had a busy yeah. office. Yeah. Um, so just the sheer amount of data intensity. You overlay that with the absolute sensory bombardment that we're getting in terms of we're measuring everything, we're tracking everything, we're researching everything, there's a sensor on everything. Um, again, we're then expected to interpret and do stuff with that. And it's all about this kind of, we must improve, we must improve, we must improve, that we've stripped all the fat out and we've basically improved everything we can. So now the only things that are left to be improved are really crunchy, really difficult, really hard or really expensive. Yeah, and yeah. that is it any wonder why leaders are starting to go, well, I just don't have enough gas in the tank to do all the things you're asking me to do and then find really meaningful improvement somewhere else. Of course, that's going to start to take a toll. Absolutely. I'm going to jump in quick, you know, just talking about how many letters a day did we used to receive. Mm. When I was a manager in the corporate world, and this is going back more than 30 years, we had a messenger would come around twice a day with internal email, internal memos, right, typed out by secretary. If I got three in the morning, three in the afternoon, that was it, and maybe one report. Um, that was it. That was the day's correspondence, you know, and the odd complaint from a customer. So, yeah, you're right. Back but, to you, Kathleen. But it's it's so true that we're never – we're always on. I mean, with these, you're – constantly uh there's no excuse you can't say well i you know i i just wasn't available or i was doing something else there's no reason you everybody has one of these nowadays and you can't give the excuse that you just weren't there or didn't get the message because it's on on your phone no i i gotta argue with you come on you know me okay (laughs) i work for myself i i i refuse to get emails on that I get emails on the computer and I tell everyone, don't try and email me uh, during the night because I don't have my phone on. You're the the exception, I would say, though. I think most people are constantly on their phones searching their emails. I mean, (laughs) it worked. It works for me. And I tell everybody, I said, if you want me urgently, pick up the phone and phone me. And uh, okay, text. I I do look at text now and again, but no emails on the phone. That's it. Anyway, sorry, I was digressing. But, but isn't, you know, we've probably tapped into something really interesting because, Peter, I'm guessing if you go back to your corporate life, whilst there were probably challenges and it was stressful at times, you probably quite enjoyed it at times and there were some oh, yeah. really good moments. Oh, yeah, uh, and, yeah. uh, and a lot of that was the golfing days and the socialising and the networking and the downtime to think about how to solve things. So you came back with a really considered approach. Yeah, the, you're the, right. The reality is that our modern leaders are kind of like the proverbial hamster on a wheel. You know, they're sprinting and the faster they sprint, the faster the wheel goes. So then the faster they have to sprint and the faster the wheel goes. And that causes real challenges for leaders because 
in I, I don't know if we get we, we can go into the neuroscience a little bit but essentially it's like you've got two tv channels in your brain and you can only watch one tv channel at any one time so if you're watching the executive function hamster on a wheel channel you can't be watching the daydreaming synthesizing connecting the dots solving oh. the subconscious problems in the shower t- tv channel and so we have to consciously make space to be able to activate that daydreaming channel so our subconscious can then be working on all the executive function it's that moment you know when you stood in the shower you're like ah, that's the solution to that problem or you're going for a walk with your dog and you're like that's how i should deal with that conversation but our leaders don't have that luxury anymore they're you know back to back in meetings seven till seven every day then they go home and start um, working after they've do- dealt with their families and they're online till one two in the morning is there any wonder that they never have the space to think and sure. that's what's causing this epidemic that we're dealing with. And it's based on, as you say, expectations of always being available, always being yep. on. Exactly. Yep. And the more that they do and the you know they do a good job, they're given more to do. They're just handed more and more and more. It's never it's never turned off. It's uh, oh, my gosh, uh, <laughs> we can go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, let's 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 move on. How how are you different from the other coaches and facilitators out there, Jimmy? Oh, how am I different? Well, I think, you know, whenever you meet a coach and facilitator and there are some incredible people out there doing amazing work, um, they're normally passion led in Mm -hmm. whatever it is that they're doing. And so, yes, I think, you know, I am also passion led, but I think my passion comes from real authentic battle scars you know, I've had imposter syndrome as a young 23-year-old second lieutenant. My first job in the whole world was Gulf War II. And I mm-hmm. turned up to lead soldiers in war uh, with no qualification, with no experience, and just left in Kuwait to hitchhike into Iraq and find my soldiers and start working. Imposter syndrome 101. <laughs> in that moment, I had to learn to listen to those around me and to understand from those soldiers who I ostensibly outranked, but they far outweighed my my knowledge and to learn from experts around me and to pick up great ideas. Um, fast forward 20 years, I was a GM in a large organization running an eight-figure business uh, with a team of 40 people all around the world. And I was going through the, one of the most complex transformations that's ever taken place in an organization in New Zealand. And I burned out really spectacularly because I was working 18 hours a day. I was doing an MBA at the same time. I was traveling Ah. 10 days out of 14. Um, I was literally giving everything I had until I could give no more. And so everything I do now as a consultant is based on real life. I've been you. I've done what you're going through. I know what it feels like. And I can genuinely help because I've spent the last six years with my team researching and understanding and experimenting in large global organizations all over the place to really work out how to fix this, how to understand it, how to diagnose it, how to help you see some of the challenges that you're going through and to really fix it. And then as we've gone through that journey, we've also added on some extra skills that really help us. So we have now become pretty good at research and diagnosis. And we have a Mm -hmm. research team that work with us. We've become very, very good at facilitating both virtually and in the room. So we're now master facilitators and experts in in the room to help insight-led conversations start to happen. And one of the other things that we do is we just try and make it a little bit more fun. You know, if nothing else, one of the things I often get from a really stressed out, busy leadership team is 
oh my God, it was nice to just have three hours not thinking about meetings and emails and actually just thinking about me and what's going on in our lives and how we deal with the stuff that we're going through versus having to really panic about all other stuff that's going on. It's like a bubble of safety and calm that me and my team can create that just allows a bit of thinking to happen. And often when we have that just slight step off the hamster wheel and step into a safe bubble for a period of time, magic can happen because the let's say that daydreaming TV channel starts to activate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to jump in with something quite different. Where do we go from here? I know what you're doing. You're you're working, but you can't work with every busy executive in the world. There's obviously other people doing similar stuff to you. But from what you've been saying and from my perception, what Kathleen's been saying, the problem is actually still overall, globally, the problem is getting worse. So what what's the big reset? I don't like that word. How do we how do we globally turn this around and get people back to working properly or working getting that time? for the inspiration what's in your crystal ball you know it's um it probably is a little bit controversial to say that most of us are drug addicts yeah and the drug addict that this is the drug that we're talking about here is dopamine it's Mm -hmm. the the challenge and achievement hormone that rattles around inside our brain and we're nearly all addicted to it So whether we're getting our fix on social media, whether we're getting our fix on problem solving, being the firefighter, dealing with those challenges that come up. Um, But what happens when you become addicted to a drug? It feels good initially. And then you need more and more and more and more. And the hit gets less and less and less until you are homeless and on the streets and looking like a bum eating out of a a a trash can. And I don't mean to be flippant or dismissive in that. But essentially, that is the journey that we're on right now as Mm -hmm. a society for the way we're running businesses. And as I say, this is no fault of the people who are leading those businesses. They've had a generation of underinvestment in their leadership skills and capabilities. So they're not able to see the positive changes that can be made. And much like addiction, my fear is that you need to reach rock rock bottom before you decide to do anything about it. And what we're starting to see in organizations now is rock bottom is you know look at the gallup data 73 to 75 percent of employees are disengaged Mm, yeah Um, we're seeing turnover start to really go up we're seeing a battle between leadership we want you all back in the office and workers we don't want to come back to the office that's right you know we've got this great resignation that started kicking off in 2020 2021 and that's just essentially another word for disengagement Mm -hmm. and people just turning up and doing the job and going home the minimum minimum investment so you know where do we go from here i think we really need to start investing in management and leadership skills to be able to slow the pace on that mm-hmm. hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, when you slow the pace, that doesn't mean the profits go down, the margins go down. Oh. Actually, what we see is they go up. But if we could yeah. do some really basic things, and we everything we do is very, very simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. Uh, and that's the reason I say it's simple is because it's not rocket science to think about things like, let's talk to our team mm-hmm. regularly. So we know who they are, we know what they're into. Let's make sure everybody in our team knows what we're actually aiming for this year and why this team exists and what their role is in contributing to that. Um, Let's make sure we've only got a few priorities and we don't just then chuck in another one and another one and another 10 and another 50 um, because people are then trying to spin too many plates. 
These are very simple things that we need to do. And I think a lot of leaders, they know intuitively when you talk to these smart, incredibly capable people, they know these are the things that they have Mm -hmm. to do, but it's not easy. It's hard. Mm-hmm. So our yeah. job as a as a facilitatory function, as a as a you know, consulting business, is to come in and show the way and to help teams transition from we know we're doing this, but we need to keep needing our fix to actually, okay, let's just have these conversations that make a difference. And what you start to see is when you when you start to sort of unthread the knot or untangle the knot everything else starts to calm as well. So mm-hmm. let's say, for example, we go, why does this team exist and what are we focused on? Then people start to make decisions in a more aligned way. What are wow. our priorities? People stop to go off and stop doing side projects. Um, we, when you do these very simple things, they have massive repercussive effects that are positive. And I believe that's what we need to do. And we're desperately trying to to support as many organizations as we can in this regard. And yes, there are other people that do it, but there are many leaders out there who are, probably too busy to even think about how to do this. So right. my advice is just to get some help from somebody who can, can come in and help you do that and you start the, the ball rolling. Well, mm-hmm. having having said that though, how what are the first steps that you take when you begin working with business leaders? What exactly do you do? If somebody picks up the phone and says, I'm in need of help. I'm just, I'm worn out. How do you help them? Yeah, you know, well, well first of all, um, I'm sorry to hear that you're just worn out you know it's that is not a not a great place to be Mm -hmm. Um, having been there myself I know that it can be really challenging just to even get out of bed in the morning and go to work and if you're feeling like that because you've made the call Mm -hmm. chances are there's other people in the organization feeling like Mm -hmm. that so what we want to do is to first of all really understand what is going on in the organization so this isn't rush to solution this is first of all let's get a diagnosis and what we see in many organizations is there's a misinterpretation of the cause um some examples i could give you now if only our people would do what we tell them to do people never get involved in these change initiatives or there's so much resistance going on you know we're all trying really hard and there's just more and more being thrown at us you know these are the things we hear regularly mm-hmm. if we could just you know, if we could just sort this out that'd be great Um, So initially what we're going to do is we're going to go into an organization and we have a diagnostic process, which we do with the participants that are going through the program with us. But we also start to look at some of the metrics in the organization. So things like um, how many people are leaving within the first six and 12 months? What sort of um, cost of recruitment are you dealing with? How many people are joining the business and leaving within the first 90 days? How many people don't even join? And what we're trying to do is understand where is the challenge here? And what we generally see is the challenge is not necessarily what the managers picked up the phone about, Mm -hmm. but we need to understand that so we can start presenting the solution that's going to fix it. Equally, what we want to do is present a solution with some commercial aspects to it, because you know, when somebody, normally the HR person picks up the phone and they'll say, we've got this cultural challenge. And a lot of them are unwilling to say that. They're saying we've got a performance. You know, we want to mm-hmm. get to high performance. And we're like, well, okay, well, let's get to low performance before we get to high performance. Um, we've got no performance right now. Um, then um, it's very challenging for them to go in front of the CFO and the board and say, I need X thousands of dollars to invest in this program with these people from Mexico Um because it's going to help us. It's too fluffy. Whereas if we can go in and say, look, your cost of turnover right now is $30 million a year. Uh, and we, if we could reduce that by 10%, that's going to put $3 million straight back on your bottom line. Uh, and that's not a big ask, by the way, mm-hmm. then, you know, sure that justifies the investment in um, some some time spent with your people 
and some you know some help for people who might be really struggling right now. Mm-hmm. So we try and present our solution in a commercial way. And then what we essentially do is we build a program, a customized program for each organization that we work with. And that's based on, th- we call them elements because we like to kind of talk about experiments and chemistry and things like that. So there's 38 elements, which you could think of as like 38 mini modules. Mm-hmm. And we sp- we slot them in to three bigger chapters. We call them labs, which are made up of normally kind of five or six elements per lab. So what they're designed to do is to really home in on what's the challenges that this team or this part of the business is really struggling with. And here's the solutions that have been developed through the last six years that are going to really help with that. And those elements can be as varied as let's get everybody really clear on purpose to let's have really tough conversations with each other or let's set up a ways of working charter. You know, we've got a whole plethora of different options which are slotted in based on the diagnosis that we find. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So here's an observation that puzzles me, and I've pondered on this for years and years. If you go back to the 18th and 19th centuries, before computers, telephones, even before the telegraph, um, British and continental, huge, in today's money, multi-billion dollar turnover businesses existed. And they traded in India and all over the place. And they did that with none of the modern communication systems. Letters would take three months to get to the outposts and the answer three months back. And yet they ran hugely successful businesses. So is there not a lesson there that sometimes we we play with too much data? Absolutely. And, you know, you talked to the incredible Paul Teasdale in a previous episode, and I'm sure he mentioned about, you know, putting sensors on a car um, in Formula One slows the car down because it adds extra weight. So you've got to make that decision. Are we going to measure that thing? And is it worth the weight of measuring it um, on with the impact on the speed? And I, I think often what we see in organizations is they don't really know what they want to measure or what they're trying to, mm-hmm. what they're trying to find out. So they just measure everything and then they get yeah. lost in the numbers. The numbers uh, and, yeah. yeah. I, I know. I remember back to when I was, uh, I took on a, a role as the head of recruitment for one of the Australasian banks and I was running their talent recruitment function. And I looked at the dashboard that took one of the members of my team three days every month to produce this dashboard on all of the recruitment metrics yeah. and all of the things that were involved and I looked at it and I took it around a few of the business leaders and I said, you know, what do you think of this dash- dashboard? And I said, well, it's all wrong anyway, so we don't oh. even bother reading it. So I said, well, well let's just stop doing it. <laughs> um, so we stopped doing it. And over the next six months, we worked with a software development company to basically automate that reporting. So any manager at any point could just click a button and it would run the report for them in oh. real time. Yeah. And then yeah. we went round the business again and started getting the buy into this is the actual, actual accurate data. And actually it's more accurate than your own notebook that you're kind of keeping in the back of your scrapbook um, on what the state of play is because yeah. you didn't believe our data. But I thought, well, hold on, we've spent three days a month and we've only got 20 working days per month. So we're spending, yeah. you know, three twentieths of our time producing something that's completely useless. How many teams are there in the world that are doing the same thing? How many teams are running month-end reports that nobody reads? How many teams are running month-end reports that are completely inaccurate because the data's a lag measure? Um, It's about thinking really carefully about how do we we measure that? So to go back to your question, you know, how did these businesses run successfully over all this time? 
I think they weren't as complex. They sure. certainly weren't working in the exponentially more complicated worlds that we operate yeah. in. You know, right. everything was slower. Everything was calmer. You know, your three letters in the morning and maybe two in the afternoon was the same for everybody. Yeah. So that intensity yeah. wasn't there. And what we know from organizational dynamics is every time you add a layer of complexity, it quadruples the, the sorry, every time you add a layer of um, data or a layer of reporting or a layer of people, it quadruples the complexity of the environment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've yeah. gone from three letters a day to 3000 emails a day. Um, what level, you know, how much more matrixed and complicated is that cloud of, te- of, of data sure. and information that sure. we're trying to operate in? Yeah, I know. It, it is a quick one for you. You, you mentioned that um, after lockdown, the great resignation, people don't want to go back to the office. What, what other stresses uh, did the lockdown cause on, on the executive function and on addition to burnout, for want of a better term? Well, you know, if we if we look at leadership practices really carefully and go back to kind of the, 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 the meat and bones of it, leaders today in the majority of organizations are still leading in the way that we ran Victorian factories. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I say you do. Uh, I'm the, I'm the one with all the answers. I solve all the big problems because you're just a paid worker. Um, make this widget, you know, whatever your widget might be. And through a series and a generation of underinvestment in leadership development, because it's always cheaper just to pull a leadership program or get rid of the learning team than it is to really deal with some of the fundamental issues in organizations. We've got a generation of leaders who were trained 25 years ago in senior leaders who were trained 25 years ago on their management 101 course, if at all. Um, We've got generations of mid-level leaders who've never really been through any sort of meaningful leadership training Mm -hmm. and let's not forget as well that as you move through organizations leadership requirements of you differ so Mm -hmm. to become a team supervisor is different to being a manager is different to being a manager of manager is different to being a leader of leaders is different to being an enterprise leader or a board member there's a vertical jump that you require at each of those stages but normally most organizations have an introduction to management course and maybe an executive coach so you've got this 20-year gap in the middle of no stuff to help you change the way you act. And so what we found in lockdown was um, I was used to turning up at the office every day. All my people would be in the office every day and I could talk to them. And if something happened or was going wrong and I could hear it, then I could deal with it. And just by the fact that I saw people, if if you know if Kathleen was looking sad, then I could go over and talk to her. Um, if Peter didn't deliver, then I could pull him into an office or a meeting room and have a chat with him. But lockdown took all of that away from me. Mm-hmm. So then me as an underskilled leader had to suddenly work out ways of, well, I've got even greater expectations because my boss has told me we're falling behind on the numbers, so I need to catch up. But I can't see if Kathleen is looking sad. I'm not really able to check if Peter's not delivering because I don't yeah. have any mechanisms in place that I've set up where our you know mutual psychological contract has been put in place. So of course I'm struggling and then I'm starting to fall behind my numbers even more. So my boss is putting pressure on me. My boss isn't great at having those tough conversations. So I'm now feeling that as well. 
And oh, and by the way, I've got 3000 emails coming in today and a day full of meetings. And we're just going to do all those meetings on a screen. Some people with their screens on, some people with their screens off, because do you know what? Yeah. Why not? We all have to be respectful of each other's human rights. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of ranting a little bit about it, but you can all see right. how this all starts to un- For sure. unfold, right? It's not, it's not one thing. It's like this perfect storm of all these amazing things happening that are causing some real challenges for our leaders right now. And it's not their fault. And that's what we all say. This is not your fault. This is a product of the system we're operating in readers want to help you to try and do this a different way right yeah 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 no i suspected uh, a tenth of what you you told me there but i i could see how it aggravates the problem but you you explained it very well thank you for that that was good <laughs> kathleen well peter we're running short on time i know you have a burning question to ask we we I'm are running short on time one. wow this is fascinating stuff it is. Uh, okay so Jimmy, my burning question that I ask all successful guests that we have on the show is, in your experience, and you've had a lot of experience in many different fields between military and banking and consulting and HR and now your own business, is there there one single characteristic or mindset or habit that differentiates successful business leaders from those that remain average, or is it more complicated? Yeah, no, I think, you know, if if I was going to say one thing – the thing that differentiates a successful leader from non-successful leaders is the leader who can deliver results through others versing, versus needing to be the shining light, gold medalist, mm-hmm. superstar, mm-hmm. firefighter themselves. The and that transition, say again, sorry? So de- are you saying delegation then? Yeah, it's delegation, it's coaching, it's giving opportunities, it's not being it's you know it's like being the star footballer and then right. moving into a coaching role mm-hmm. it's letting go of that need to be the number one mm-hmm. and working out ways to deliver that through your team you can never and you will never be a successful leader beyond a certain level of an organization or a certain size of organization if you can't step back from the doing and start doing the leading Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Very good answer. Tell us uh, quickly about your book and how do people get it? Yeah, um, the, I'm very excited by the book. Uh, it's essentially it's a playbook for building a high performance culture. So it's not a novel. Um, it's filled with stories and ideas. But essentially what we did over the course of working with a series of organizations is we started spotting what are the five things that if people don't do them, end up with a burnout situation happening in an organization. And if they do do them, it starts to build a high performance culture and they start to see some significant shifts in business results. And so what we did was we wrote a five chapter book, which unpacks each of those five things. And then at the end of each section, three sections per chapter, at the end of each section, there's action tips, which tells you how to do the thing we've just told you about. So for example, do you have a team purpose? If you don't follow the action tips, here's how to make a team purpose. Uh, and it just literally says, Good. ask this, do this, draw this on the whiteboard. Um, what we're trying to do is make the business of being a great leader super simple. Okay. Sounds good. Would you happen to have a copy with you right there that you can show? I do. Excellent. Here it is. Yeah, let's wonderful have a look at it. Out, Ignite Performance. Okay. Um, so Good. we are, it is currently available uh, as a digital copy on uh jimmyburrows.com just click book and it's available there as an epub a pdf a mobi uh, and by the time we go live uh, it will also be on amazon.com available for thanksgiving and christmas stuffings uh, christmas present stuffers excellent oh, wonderful well thank you that's and, really good uh, 
And how do people contact you? Um, I'm probably most contactable on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Jimmy Burrows, and I'm the only Jimmy Burrows spelt like I am, B-U-R-R-O-U-G-H-E-S. Um, we also have a, a lovely website, which has got access to our book, um, the High Performance Leader podcast that we um, mentioned a little bit earlier, yeah. and a heap of other information, blogs, free information, downloads, and all sorts of other stuff, which is jimmyburrows.com. Excellent. And for our audio listeners, all that information will be in the description on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on. And the last message for me, apart from thanking Jimmy so much for being our guest and thanking you, the audience, for watching and listening, is we've had another really interesting guest today. Fascinating for me, fascinating conversation. To make sure you don't miss future fascinating guests, sign up for our weekly newsletter, which will tell you about this week's guests and next week's guest. Just go to our website, theyackingshow.com, and you'll find a full on there. That's it for me. Goodbye, everyone. Over to Kathleen. Yes, thank you so much, Jimmy, for uh, being with us today. We so appreciate having you. And thank you also very much for tuning into our show. If anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit us at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form and we would love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. <clears throat>